Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. Say it ain't about me. Yeah. Say it ain't about me. Yeah. Amen. So the, the funny thing is, I thought that would be a great reminder for us, especially coming out of Easter and hopefully still being on this uh, Easter season intensive, is that it's sad, but that's so close to reality, isn't it? Even if we don't stay home and put the VR uh, goggles on, we really come in and out of this place as if it's about us. We really attend church as if it's, how can they cater to me? How can I get what I want, when I want, how I want, instead of how can God minister to me? Amen. What he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. I was talking to Mary about this, and it's interesting, even, even in, our, in our home, we have like three different grocery stores that we go to, and it'll be dependent upon how much money we have at the time. Walmart is the go-to, the staple foundation of our grocery lives. We have a, a, a couple others, uh, Whole Foods, when we can afford to, when we can splurge, when we just did that budget, oh, we go to Whole Foods. And then we have this new one called Clark's out by us, and they have more options for vegans. You guys know that we're vegan now. They have a ton of stuff, but it's not cheap. So we make these decisions based on our finances and where we are whatever particular week. And I said to her, it's sad, but that's how people do church. What can I get from where, you know, I want this leadership, I want this worship, I want this type of message, I want this type of conviction or lack of conviction. I want to pick and choose like I can choose grocery stores, and that is not what God intends. God intends for us to do things according to his word, his way, his plan, his will, and we conform to that. We don't conform to church to us. <clears throat> As we come out of this uh, intensive and, and uh, a reflection of what happened at that first Easter, um, I want to look at a message this morning uh, that not only talks about what happened then and this resurrection and, and the things that unfolded right thereafter, but what I believe still happens every time the resurrection becomes real in somebody's life. What unfolds when somebody gets saved? We've had a lot of young people uh, recently getting saved, asking, <laughs> amen. You heard, you heard Gary, the, the youth leader, just making proclamations like, we're all going to Elevate, and even if you don't have money, we're going to send you anyway. It's like, you must be the youth leader, bro. <laughs> it's faith right there. But it's exciting. That's the group that's getting saved. That's the group that's uh, coming to church, bringing their families, wanting to get baptized. It's, it's a special thing. I've also had some men recently reaching out in what I would call vulnerability, saying, hey, I want to be baptized, or excuse me, I want to be discipled. 
I want to be led. I want to be taught. I want to. I want to grow. We went to this this movie on on Friday and thank God uh, for what for what Gary said. But in addition, it's, it was all about discipleship. It was all about men growing as men. It was all about men not being punks, but being able to say, just because I'm not a punk doesn't mean I can't be led. Doesn't mean I can't be humble. Doesn't mean I can't be submissive. It was great. It was amazing. It was awesome. So I'm watching these men reach out to me and call me and say, hey, can you help me? Will you spend time with me? Will you lead? Will you teach me certain things? It's been awesome seeing the power of God, seeing the heart of God in this after Easter season that I think we're in. I had a youth reach out to me this last week and uh, asked me, said, hey, I want to be discipled and I'm considering a couple people. Can you help me make the decision on, on who should disciple me? And I was like, I had to stop and say, oh, my God. They're not asking me to disciple them. What they're saying is, as my pastor, will you help me choose someone to disciple me? So after I finished thanking God for, for the wisdom and maturity in this teenager's life, I said to him, I said, hey, listen, uh, I think you should choose someone who's been discipled. And then I said, if you want to choose someone that hasn't been discipled, ask them first. How are you going to disciple me if you haven't been discipled? What is your plan for me and for my life? And I said, and if you still choose that person, listen to their response, and then you get to make, a, you get to make your choice. Discipleship is your choice. It's not something that's forced upon you. This last week, we had life groups, and uh, I heard some testimonies, different people, different groups, and I, and I realized that, that we had part of it where people were sharing the gospel with one another, and part of it where we were talking about discipleship and, and how that process should go, and, and some people really struggled with it, struggled with these ideas and these concepts that we see, and these questions that were asked of everyone. But I think in our hearts, we all really know the truth. You know, Jesus, he had a ton of followers. He had 12 disciples. He had a group of 70 that were, were relatively close and, and maintained uh, this, this, I guess I would say just a relatively close walk with him. And then he had multitudes, hundreds of people that would show up at different times. He even had wealthy and rich people that would follow him. You read about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. After Jesus was crucified, wealthy man came and took his body and buried him in his tomb. You read about Nicodemus, who was a leader within the church, and he would sneak off at night to come and follow Jesus and say, hey, teach me, teach me, teach me. I'm not ready to come out of my role, my position, my world, but I definitely want to be with you, and he would come to him. So I think what we know in our hearts is that when Jesus decided to give that commission we talked about last week, he chose the 12. He chose the 11 that were left. He didn't choose the 70. He didn't choose the 100. He didn't choose just the wealthy who would come from time to time. He said, those that I'm going to commission to make disciples and to baptize and to teach are going to be you 11. We see it and we know it. This transition to a group of believers that were going to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, I believe it was going to, and we see that it blew the lid off of religion in the whole world. It came from a place of freedom and power, but it also came from a place of order and structure. God has always been a God of order, not of confusion and chaos. He's always been a God of structure, and that's not going to change just because he's going to send his spirit to just be this this, uh, inauguration of the kingdom. He's still going to have order and structure. Some of you may have remembered uh, a message not too long ago where we talked about the trellis and the vine. 
We said that God is life and he is living and he's powerful. And you see this vine and you see this, this um, um, blossoming and blooming of flowers. I, I pulled up to the church today and all of a sudden, maybe it was this way last week, but I don't remember. But there's flowers everywhere outside, <laughs> right? And then we pulled up and Mary said, look, they're all white. And we parked right in front of the only ones that are purple. She said, there's only one purple flower. I was like, babe, you're just too sure. There's a bunch of them. You just can only see one out of the window. But the idea is this, there's beauty and there's life and there's growth, but you need trellis, you need structure, you need something, you know, somebody's actually tending to that garden outside. They're not just growing everywhere, they're in an intended space. And they're growing in an, in an intended and intentional way. And that's how the church is. Jesus says, uh, I want you to go, but I'm going to send the Spirit first. He says, go, but don't just go. Go and make disciples. There's, there's freedom, but then there's also order. He says, I want you to baptize, but don't just go baptizing in however you want to baptize. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, hey, I want you to teach, but don't just teach them what you want to teach them. Teach them what I commanded you. So there's this freedom and this beauty and this spirit and this growth, but there's also order, structure, intentionality, God's way, not the our church. <laughs> God's church. Tell the message this morning is new world order. New world order. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed him, while he blessed them, that he was departed from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Say joy. joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen, it says. It's titled uh, New World Order this morning because even here you see that in the temple there's this new group of spirit-filled, joyful, worshiping, and praising believers. They're blessing the name of Jesus, and they're in the temple, but they're a small group doing things completely different than everybody else was. Think about it for a second. He leads the 12 or the 11, blesses them, prays over them. He goes up to heaven. It says that they're excited. They go straight to church, and they start worshiping. But a picture this church. There's only 11 of them in the church that really understand what they're doing and who they're worshiping and how he wants to be worshiped. Everybody else in the temple is still doing it the old way. If you look at any church, is it possible that maybe there's just a small group that really know who they're there to worship and how he wants to be worshiped and what it is that he desires from them? even if the church is full. This small group of believers, they had no power, they had no authority in the church, they had no influence in the church. The church was actually being, quote unquote, led by a different group of people, but these are the real worshipers in the church, these 11 men. They had no authority or power in the world, not only the church, but think about the Roman uh, society surrounding them and the whole world, they didn't mean anything. But God from heaven is looking down on those 11 and he says, that's my church. That's my group. Those are my guys. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says this, The hour is coming and now is. It has arrived. It's now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. It's crazy. 
He doesn't care if he only has 11. 11. He says, I'm looking for those who will worship me in spirit and truth, who aren't looking for what they desire. They're looking for what I desire. There was a small group, these 11. There were also uh, um, several women who were there, those who were at the tomb, Mary, Jesus' mother. They were all part of this small group of believers who God would look down and say, man, this is the group that's worshiping me in spirit and truth. These are the ones that I'm looking for, and I want more. I want others. He says, wait in Jerusalem, right? This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. They looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. And behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So here's Jesus, same portion of scripture. He says, wait in Jerusalem. Wait till you get power. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he was being betrayed in the garden and the, the disciples wanted to fight for him, he looked and he said, listen, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to come down and fight for me if I wanted to? Could you imagine having that kind of power? He says, I could call down angels to fight for me. I think about it when I read this scripture in Acts because as he goes to heaven, two angels show up. They look at the disciples. They say, why are you guys staring into the sky? He's going to come back eventually. They were there to minister to the disciples and get them on the right road. This idea of as it is in heaven, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's already a new world order where everyone is in submission to Jesus. When he goes back to heaven, he sends two angels. He says, tell them to go do what I told them to do. They're conformed to that new world order already there. So when we say let it be done on earth as it is in heaven, are we conformed to that new world order? He said, in Luke, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. In Acts, we get clarification. He says, the power is going to be the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, for you, to be in you. I think one more thing that's important to recognize here is that the Holy Spirit, it says, came upon them. The Holy Spirit is not something that you just get to go and take because you want it. The Holy Spirit isn't someone that you could say, look, I'm a Christian now, and I just want to be used by God. I want to have the Holy Spirit, so it's mine now. And I take authority of it. I take control of it. I'm going to wield it as I see fit. No, that's not what you see in the Scripture. What the Scripture says is these men and women position themselves to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Many of us would love to just be able to control God or control the Holy Spirit, but that's not how it works. You want him, you ask for him. You have not because you ask not. It's something that you receive and not something you take. It's a relationship that's built on love, not built on just desire. So here it is, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon this New World Order church. It says, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord and in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. 
Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, other parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, oh, the wonderful works of God. This is the birth of the church. What you and I have been birthed into. When you get saved, this is the church you're a part of. It's saying people from everywhere, every nation, every city, right? You got people from South Orange County and West LA. You got people from Brea and La Habra and Fullerton and Whittier. You got black, white, Asian, Mexican, every other nationality you could think of. Our Arab folks up in here, our Egyptians and Armenians, everybody's part of the church. But they're all hearing the word of God in their own language. It's not saying come conform to this vision of church. The church goes beyond all other barriers and borders. It's a spirit-filled church where everybody hears. The reason why we all hear in this scripture in our own language is because God is speaking to our hearts. He's not speaking to your culture. He's speaking to your heart so you can hear it when it's being presented to you. This is the church. Spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, and established by Jesus. It has disciples and apostles as its leaders, and they move because they've been commissioned and they move in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the church. That's how God built it. That's how he birthed it. That's what we should be entering into. That's what we should be looking for. And that's what we should be talking to people about when we invite them to church. So I want to look at two things this morning. What the spirit-filled church means to the individual convert. And what it means for the leadership of a church. This type of birth, this type of church, this type of the Holy Spirit has come and empowered certain individuals to speak things and to lead in a way that draws people into relationship with Jesus Christ. That church that Jesus has established, what does it mean for the individual convert and what does it mean for leaders of churches? <clears throat> the rest of Acts chapter 2, uh, after this spirit comes and everybody's hearing, all these people come rushing to find out what's going on. And Peter stands up and it says that he preaches this message and 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. From all these different places, all these different nations. Here's something I want you to think about. And we're not going to cover it today. But what actually happened to those 3,000 people? They have to go back to their homes. They have to go back to their jobs. They have to go back to their families and communities. What happened to them? Did they just raise their hand, come to the altar? Peter, we love the message. We want to get saved. And that was it. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I do think the Bible leads us into an understanding of what had to happen to them. What decisions those men and women had to make. What changes had to happen in their families because of responding to that message that day. What we are going to look at is, is the next chapter. And we're going to look at an individual salvation. It's great when, when 3,000 people get saved at once. It's great when everybody goes down to Angel Stadium and Greg Laurie is there and all of the famous worship leaders are there, right? And the message goes forth and thousands of people come running down to the, to the field and they get that new believer's Bible and, ooh, we love Jesus. We celebrate that. But they have to go somewhere the next week. 
Do they just take that new believer's Bible, go home and say, hey, I'm glad that we checked that off the list. <laughs> We're good now. No. Same thing that happened when Peter preached and thousands got saved is the same thing that happens at Angel Stadium when thousands get saved. They need to be led to the Lord. They need to learn how to serve the Lord. They need to find a community to be involved in. They don't just get a, a new believer's Bible and a set of virtual reality uh, goggles, right? They don't just get... Imagine when they get ready to leave Angel Stadium, uh, that parking attendant says, hold on, before you leave, I have to change your radio stations now because you're a Christian. And this is how you're going to live your life. Just, these are the stations you need now. These are the choices that you can pick. What time do you get up and drive? Okay, that's going to be your pastor because they're on during that time. What time do you come home from work? Okay, that's going to be your worship leader. It's not how it works. At least I don't think that's how it works. Let's get to the individual. Thousands are saved. The church is birthed. They don't even know what to do with all these people that are getting saved. The people don't know what to do with the fact that they love Jesus now. Let's look at an individual. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Here's the picture. Peter and John are going into the church that they don't lead. They're part of the New World Order Church of Jesus, just a handful of people who really love the Lord and are serving the Lord. They're going to the temple, and there's a man that every day... His friends or family drop him off in front of the doors of the church, the gate of the church, to beg for money. It says in verse 3, when they saw him, Peter and John, about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or our own godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. <clears throat> Salvation coming to an individual. This spirit-filled church, this waiting upon the Lord to send the spirit, how does it affect and what does it mean to an individual uh, that encounters this love, encounters this power. 
The first thing I want to share with you is joy. Salvation is characterized by joy. Verse 8 said, this man, when Peter looks at him and they speak this to him and they tell him to stand up and, and, and to begin to walk, it says that he leaping up, in verse 8, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. When someone gets saved, we should see joy in their life. We should see them surrounded by joyful people. It should be more than just, yeah, I raised my hand, I want to give my life to Jesus. It should be this understanding that, oh my God, I cannot believe what just happened to me. They should be so happy, so excited. Maybe the next day, the next week, there should be a little bit of that, oh my God, I can't believe what just happened to me. Like a little bit of fear. But in that moment or, or, or shortly thereafter, man, there should be joy. This guy has been lame and crippled and laying in front of a, uh, of a church for years and years and years, begging for scraps. Next thing you know, he's standing on his feet. He can't wait to run into the church and rejoice. Why are we always so sad and so depressed? There should be joy. Yes. This morning, I, I watched Gary talk about it from up here to all of you guys, and I hope you saw the joy on his face. He wasn't talking about his life. He wasn't talking about his finances. He wasn't talking about his marriage or his kids. He was talking about these kids going to a movie, learning something, getting saved, wanting to be baptized. Can't wait to take them to Elevate. Why? Because there's joy. I've been listening to, to some of these young people, what's been going on in their lives, and, and um, I think it was Easter one of them leaves church, goes and gives his life to the Lord in somebody else's living room. This Friday night, which Gary didn't share about, before they went to the movies, a young lady gave her life to the Lord here in the church before they went to the movies. That's joy. Not only should they be excited, but we should be more excited for them. Gary came up to my office this morning, and the reason I know about the young lady that, that uh, gave her life on, on Friday night is because he wouldn't leave me alone. He came in, he barely knocked, kicked the door in. I gotta tell you what happened on Friday. I'm like, bro, I'm trying to pray for the message. He's like, no, but you gotta know. She was sitting there, she was talking to Julia, she gave her life to the Lord. Julia didn't tell me till later, and like, I was like, man, you are really excited about this. Why? Because salvation should be characterized by joy. Not only by the person getting saved. You know why a lot of people aren't excited when they get saved? Because nobody's excited for them. They say they got saved and the family says, well, I, I ain't take you to church. Right? Who are the ones that are supposed to be excited? Somebody raises their hand and they're on their way to the altar and we're trying to get out of the church to get to lunch. Oh my God. Somebody be excited when somebody's giving their life to the Lord. This man is jumping up and down and running into the church. And the people who are there supposed to be supporting them are running out to get back to their life. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. What I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Salvation is about getting way more than what you thought you were going to get. This dude is sitting in front of the church and asking for crumbs and scraps and a couple of pennies. And what he got was healing in his body and a new life. He understood how joyful he should be, and that was the response that came out of him. 
What we have to do, not only do I think more people when they get saved are not as excited as they could be or should be, one, is because we're not excited enough for them, and two, we haven't really told them what they got. <laughs> right? They think they got a new church. They think they got a new book that they're supposed to read. <laughs> this guy that we're reading about in Acts chapter 3, he understood that he wanted pennies and he got riches. He understood that he wanted a little bit of help and he got a new life. He understood that he wanted somebody to carry him back home and he was given the strength to be able to walk home on his own. Who will teach? Who will share? Who will help? Who will rejoice? If there isn't joy that characterizes salvation, there's a lack of understanding in what's actually happened. Every salvation, every heart raised, every hand raised, whether it happened during a service or on a Friday night, whether it happened here in the building or somewhere else, Man, the church should be rejoicing. That's why we come into this place, want to worship and praise Jesus, and then to see him continue to do what he promises to do. I couldn't stop thinking about these people that were raising their hand and asking questions and raising their hearts. So number one, that's what the Spirit does. Um, salvation should be for the individual convert, characterized by joy. The second thing it should be characterized by is strength. Same story, Acts 3, 7. Peter took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. Salvation is characterized by first an acknowledgement of weakness and then a receiving of strength. Strength doesn't just come automatically. You have to acknowledge the weakness, and then you receive strength. Listen to what it says here in this scripture. Verse 7, it says, they took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Verse 8, it says that the lame man walked and entered the temple with them. And verse 11 says, the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. If you see it, say amen. This is not just the story of a crippled man or a crippled woman. This is the story of every man and every woman and every young person that comes to Jesus. We come weak. We come broken. We come lame. You may think that you were really walking around in the world, but you weren't, just like I wasn't. And when the Lord awakens your heart, awakens your mind, awakens your soul to resurrection, salvation, new life, you're still weak. You're still crippled. You're still broken. And you need strength. God will give you strength when you acknowledge your weakness. <clears throat> it's not something to look down upon. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's part of the new world order that Jesus has established. When I, when I think about it, over the years of pastoring, over the year, uh, years of ministry, it's few and far between men and women who are willing to say, you know what, I'm broken you know what, I need help. You know what, I need somebody to actually teach me. Nine out of 10 times, we will either deny that 
act like it's not the reality, not true, or we will actually be on the other end convincing ourselves and trying to convince others that we are strong and that we are capable and that we can do it and that we don't need help. Actually, I can help you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, this is Paul, he says this of the Lord, he says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and infirmities, in my reproaches and needs, in my persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is Paul. He's saying, I'm not trying to convince myself and others that I'm strong. I've learned because Jesus told me that when I'm weak, he's strong. I get his power, his spirit, his authority. I get all that because I'm too weak to do it on my own. He says, now I boast. I'm the first to raise my hand and say, nope, can't do that unless somebody helps me. Nope, can't afford it. Teach me how to do my finances. Nope, I'm broke and I'm in debt. Please drag me to financial police class. Nope, I'm not a great parent and I'm worried about what's going to happen to my children. Somebody help me. This is Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament and he's saying, I've learned that in my weakness is where I find strength. Yet we don't want to be led. And we don't want to identify as weak. I had a job interview this week. And uh, I called the guy that worked for the company the day before I went in. I'd already talked to him once or twice. He used to be in, a, in the position that I uh, was applying for. And I said, hey, tell me everything about this company. Tell me everything about who you used to work for. Tell me everything about the people. I, I got it written down on an on a envelope because as he was talking to me, I started taking notes. And I kept asking, I said, hey, what was that guy's name again? What's his last name? What division does he control? What areas is theirs? What do they do in their regular life and their personal life? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. Because, and, and the thought came into my mind like, man, it's kind of humbling to call this person and tell them. But you know what it is? It's exactly what we're talking about today. Look, I don't know, and you do know. And if I come to you humbly and say, tell me what you know, chances are I'll learn it faster and I'll be more blessed in the future. He gave me everything that I could have ever wanted to know and then some. Went into the interview on Thursday. They called me on Friday and said, hey, we don't want you to have to wait through the weekend. We will be making you an offer to come and work for this company. Now, listen, I don't know if I'm going to go work for that company, but I'll, I know this, humility goes a long way. Amen. Why would I want to go into that blind when there's somebody there saying, I have all the information already? Paul says, I have strength in my weakness. That's work. Why would you want to do salvation that same way? Why would you want to act as if you know things you don't? So far, we've seen salvation for the individual, first, characterized by joy. Man, I hope we get it. Second, characterized by weakness that's turned into strength. How many of you have heard the statement, the joy of the Lord is our strength? Raise your hand if that's you. You heard it? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We hear these things when you go to church or hang around church or hang around Christians. So those are the first two things we said, right? Uh, joy and strength characterize an individual's salvation. I want to share with you this morning where that actually comes from. <laughs> so we can see more than just that scripture or half of a scripture and see what it actually, uh, what the context is. 
Then we'll get on to point number three. This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5 through 10. The, the book of Nehemiah is the church. This is before Jesus has come in the Old Testament. The church um, has been destroyed. The people have um, uh, been disseminated. They've been taken captive and into other nations. And now Nehemiah has this opportunity to come back and start building the walls and rebuilding the church according to God's plan. If you don't do it the way God wants you to do it, it falls apart. We have hundreds of people here. We don't do what God wants us to do. It'll fall apart. And then God will say, okay, we need another Nehemiah. Let's go build another church. And then you'll try to do it right. And if you screw it up, he'll destroy the thing again, right? I just saved you a lot of time. That's the whole Old Testament. <laughs> All right, so this is part of that story. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. You wonder why we do all this Christian stuff? It's the Bible. The man of God with the word of God stood above the people, blessed God. He wasn't talking to the people initially. He blessed God for who he is. Then he began to read God's word, and the people listened to God's word. And when they agreed with it, they said, Amen. Say Amen. amen. <laughs> While lifting up their hands, we tell you, lift up your hands. Praise the Lord. Worship. It's not because we want you to do it. It's because God says that that's how he wants to be worshipped. They worship the Lord with their faces to the ground, humility. And then all these names, Jeshua, Bani, Sharabia, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hadijai, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've heard that scripture. We quote that scripture. But what does it actually mean? It means that joy is a gift from God. We should get it when we get saved. Strength is a gift from God. We should develop strength after we've been saved. But without the word of God, both joy and strength are lacking. That's where the scripture comes from. The joy of the Lord is our strength comes from a group of people who are having the word preached to them. And then what did it say? Somebody had to keep teaching them and explaining it to them because they needed understanding of what it actually said. When they first were hearing it, they were crying, you want me to go to church? You want me to give 10%? You want me to stop sinning? You want me to stop sleeping around? I can't do this. He said, stop crying. Stop mourning. This is exciting. You're going to have joy. You're going to have strength. Let me explain why and how. Listen to the structure that God had in this chapter, Nehemiah, chapter 8. Verse 9 says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Nehemiah is the one that went to, went to the king. He was his cupbearer. He said, hey, 
I got to go help my people. I got to go rebuild the wall. I got to go rebuild the church. And he gets released. So Nehemiah is a builder. Then it says, Nehemiah was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe. Ezra is, is, a, is the priest. He's like a prophet. God is speaking revelation to Ezra. So you've got a builder who's out there building the wall. You've got a man of God who's listening for revelation from God. And then it says, the Levites who taught the people said all these things to the people. So now you have these teachers. You have order. You have structure. You have a plan. You have lines of authority. And then you have the joy of the Lord is your strength. So back to our story, almost. John 15, 10, Jesus says it like this. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy should characterize salvation. Yes, but what does Jesus say? Only if you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, like I keep the Father's commandments, you'll have joy and not the joy of the world that only lasts for that night or that drink or that whatever. My joy that never runs out. They're connected to my word and to my commandments and you need to learn them and be taught them and be walked through them. This man in front of the gate, broken and lame, has somebody come to him and say, in the name of Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, stop begging, stand up, walk. He gets joy. He starts leaping up and down. But then it says that they grabbed him by the hand to pick him up. Did you notice that his ankle bones and feet didn't receive strength until they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up? It wasn't something he could do on his own. He still had to be lifted up by men of God who already knew how to walk with God. Then it says that they walked him into the church. His rejoicing was his own. His strength was now becoming his own. But they led him into the church. And then it said this, he held on to them. He wasn't trying to get away and do his own thing. He wasn't trying to say, I don't need this help anymore. He said, man, thank God I got these brothers. I'm going to hold on to them. Leads me into number three, salvation characterized by joy, salvation characterized by strength, right? This Holy Spirit, New World Order church that's just been birthed, this is what it really looks like. And then soundness, soundness. Acts chapter 3, verse 16, 316, love it. Says his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Whom you see and you know him. Yes, the faith, faith which comes through Jesus has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I love it. Salvation is characterized by soundness of mind, body, and soul. It's not just the dude got a, a new body and some new strength. Like, hey, look at the miracle. It's not just, look, he used to be depressed and sad, and now he's got joy. Because that's what a lot of people look for in us. When we get saved or we start saying that we're going to church, they're looking at us like, are you happier than you used to be? Because <laughs> you were so depressing to us before. We didn't like being around you. I heard that you Christians are happy. You, are you happy? <laughs> you used to be weak and let everybody take advantage of you. I remember we used to take you to parties and we used to make you do stuff and you were an idiot. Are you strong now? 
can you tell us no when we tell you to do something? Those are, that's part of it, right? Like, you should be joyful and you should be stronger than you used to be. But in my heart, in my mind, what I read in the scripture is that what the Lord really wants you to be identified is by your soundness of your mind. Like, are you being made complete? Not just do you project joy and do you project strength, but are you truly being made sound, stable, strong, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Jesus says, I'm going to send the spirit, Right? And then in Timothy, when Paul is talking to Timothy, his disciple, he says, the spirit of God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, which he promised he would give us from heaven. He sent the spirit to give us power. Given us love, right? A new definition of love, not your worldly definition. And a sound mind. Like we learn how to think right. It's been a while since I've shared my testimony. I ain't going to share the whole thing. But one part I always remember is when I got saved, I said, I'm going to do the opposite of what I want to do because I know I'm stupid. (laughs) I know I don't think right. I know that every decision I've made has been selfish and it ended in destruction. Why would I want to keep making decisions at all? I don't even want to decide where to go, what to eat. I don't want to make any decisions. They all go wrong. I'm surprised with how many young Christians want to make decisions. I would much rather let somebody make decisions for me. (laughs) A sound mind. I didn't have one. I thought wrong. I thought evil. I thought selfish. He says in the New World Order, this new church, this spirit-powered, empowered church, you get power, you get love, and you get a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul says to him, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. He didn't say, Timothy, you all of a sudden know all these things. He says, no, Timothy, I've been walking with you. I've been teaching you. I've been showing you what sound minds think like. Hold on to it. Throw everything you knew before out the window. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust anybody. But what I've given you, hold on to it, Timothy. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.3, he tells tells the same man, he says, Timothy, listen, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. He says, listen, Timothy, there's going to come a time where people will not listen to what the word says they will instead get virtual reality church. They will instead pick and choose who they want to teach them. They will instead try to bypass discipleship and baptism and teaching and go on in their own direction because they've received a little strength and a little joy because I am real and I have loved them and I have poured my spirit out for them. But there's going to come a time where they're going to try to do it their own way. Be ready, Timothy. Listen, when we get saved, I think it takes all of our attention to move forward. I think the the biggest mistake that a lot of people get when they get saved, like some of these young people have and some of us have, is that we give half effort into what's going to happen next. I think it takes everything you got 
to start following Jesus the way he wants to be followed. Literally everything you got. Not only do we need to give everything we've got to move forward, we've got to focus all of our attention on moving forward well. Move forward well. Don't just move forward. Don't just start going to church. Don't just start saying that you are a follower of Jesus. Move forward well according to his word, according to his order, not just with joy and not just with strength, but with a sound mind that is being led and taught by the word of God. With his order, with his structure, with his trellis, and you are the vine that's growing beautifully. If you're a wife, it's getting thick. <laughs> Ooh, I heard it already. If you're a wife, don't just find a wife that's also a Christian and model your life after that woman. Find a wife who's also a Christian who is actually being led to be sound and then follow that woman. There are a lot of Christian women out there that you shouldn't be following. They're good. They're Christian women. Thank God for them. They got joy. They got strength. Praise God. But that ain't enough if you're going to follow them. If you're a husband, find a Christian husband who's actually being led and growing in strength, growing in character, growing in soundness of mind and heart, growing in their understanding of the scriptures, humble enough to say, that's me, and I'm getting that from somebody, and I can't wait to give that to you. If you're a young person and you got saved, don't just choose any of the young people around. Figure out who the one I was talking about earlier that called me and said, help me find someone to disciple me. That's the one you want to follow, not just one who's showing up. If you're a parent, don't just pick a Christian parent. Pick a Christian parent where you can see some change and transformation in the way they parent and the fruit that that is producing in that family. And that's the one you want to call and say, hey, I want to talk to you about some things going on in my house. I love that these things that, that we preach in this church, they're not, they're not our words, it's the word of God, but in addition to that, they don't benefit us. They cost us. It costs the counsel. It costs the disciple. It costs to lead. It costs to challenge people. When you know that they could be watching this thing and saying, I don't have to be challenged, I can go to Walmart. I don't have to be expected to become a disciple. I can go to Clark's. I don't have to come in and hear messages that say, the scriptures say that we need to give. I can go to a place where it's big enough where they don't notice me if I'm not giving. But I ain't got time for that. I didn't give my life for that. I gave my life for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's called soundness. Soundness. Where it has quality all the way through. Sincerity, transparency, being genuine. In the Bible, it talks about um, the word for sincerity. It says without wax. They would chisel these sculptures, chisel these buildings, chisel sculptures of people. And imagine you spent three months chiseling this statue of David, and right at the end, you break the nose off. What they would do is they would take wax, and they would put it on the nose, and they'd put it back together. So it looked like it was good until it got hot and it would melt off and fall off after somebody bought it. 
So when they talk about being sincere, what they're saying is it's without wax, it's sound, it's solid all the way through. And that's what you want for your faith. You don't want certain areas of your faith to have wax in them. And I'll tell you this, if you have either the wrong leaders or if you lead yourself, that's what happens. That's why God has established it the way that he established it. So I want to close in a minute here with this. We talked about individuals. These individuals like this man who was laid in front of the church that got saved, got joy, got strength, got soundness, got discipled, got led, held on to Peter and, and John and kept walking through the church. They become leaders. And they do the same thing for other people's lives. So what I want to talk about uh, for the rest of the time that I have with you this morning is what it looks like for leaders. Beyond the, uh, the individual, what about these leaders and how do they get there? How are they raised up? How do they become disciples and baptizers and New World Order vessels? Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at Philip. It says in verse 5, Philip went down to a city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, unclean spirits came crying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. They heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Real quick, Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching about the kingdom of God. Philip comes into a city that has a sorcerer who's astonishing people. And what was it that flipped it and changed it? It was his message. It wasn't a message of just the gospel. It was a message of the kingdom of God. Men and women are getting baptized. Verse 13, Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized, and he continued with Philip, and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. I love it. Philip's a leader. Philip's baptizing. Philip is a vessel for the Holy Spirit to be transferred into people's life. He's laying on hands and people are receiving the Holy Spirit. We can all see that, right? Amen? Amen. 
We see Simon the sorcerer. He's actually converted. He's saved and he's baptized. But he needed to learn and he needed to be discipled about the things of God. Did you see that in the story? It's easy to jump on Simon, this terrible sorcerer. But the story is actually of him because of watching other people get saved. Simon says, I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. He gets baptized by Philip and these other leaders who are there. But he hasn't yet learned what he needs to learn. He hasn't yet walked long enough, grown enough, been taught enough, become sound. His desire isn't even a bad desire. Think about this for a second. He sees people receiving the Holy Spirit and he says, I'm willing to pay for it. Not, think about it. He doesn't want something evil. He wants to be used for other people to receive the Holy Spirit. He desires something good, but he hasn't been discipled yet. Saved, baptized, not discipled. And then look at the humility that you actually see at the end of, his, at the, end of the story. Peter's like, oh, you think this is something you could buy? This is something that has to be given to you. This is something that has to come upon you like it came upon us in Acts chapter 2. And then instead of Simon acting uh, proud or arrogant, he says, listen, pray for me. Help me, please. Ask God not to punish me for this. Lead me. Disciple me. Pray for me. You tell me what God says, and then I'll do what you tell me that God said, because I obviously don't get it yet. Dang, I hope we see it, because it's not going to change. <laughs> you can go buy a new one. It's going to say the same thing. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> it's so good. So let's, let's focus back on, on, on Philip, because he's the leader that we want to we see. The story goes on. Same chapter. Acts chapter 8, the next verse, 25. They had testified and preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Then an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go to the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. He arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, had charge of her treasury, came to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. He ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. He, or excuse me, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip is led by the Spirit. Philip is going from one place to the next place. Philip is leading people to the Lord and baptizing them. The same way that Jesus said that this should happen, right? Go make disciples and baptize them. 
Groups of people are being changed, like we saw in the first story, and then individual lives are being changed, like you see in the second story with, uh, with Philip. You see the humility of the man again, the eunuch. He wasn't too prideful. He says, I'm trying my best, but I'm not too proud to beg. Is that TLC? <laughs> Young people, don't worry about it. <laughs> Old people, you're off the hook too. <laughs> he said, look, I'm in the chariot. I came all the way to Jerusalem. I'm trying to read it, but I don't understand it. I'm just doing the best I can. Philip, are you the kind of man that will help me understand? If you are, please get into my chariot and guide me and direct me. And his life is forever changed. Before the ride is over, he jumps out and he gets baptized. This is the kind of leader that Philip is. This is the kind of power that Philip has. This is the way that God has decided to use Philip. But here's the question we're going to close with. How did Philip get to be this kind of man? Many of us want to be like Philip, but I think it's important to see, we talked about individuals coming to faith, we've talked about leaders, but how do you become one? Let's see how that worked out for Philip. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve Say 12. 12. We're talking about 12 disciples. They lost one named Judas. He hanged himself for denying Christ. And then they chose another one named Matthias. So they're back to 12 now. Okay. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples. Why? Because disciples are growing. Leaders aren't growing and the church isn't just growing. Disciples are growing. So the 12 call all the new disciples and bring them to them. Summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we, the 12 should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Philip became a great leader because he was just a faithful man sitting under the teaching and direction of the apostles. The apostles had already been discipled. The apostles had already been commissioned. You saw the end of the story. Philip is crazy. Philip is doing miracles. He's healing people. They're being baptized. Tons of things are happening. But when you read the beginning of the story, he was just sitting in the church, a faithful man. It says that they needed a group of people, a group of men to be chosen. Somebody put Philip's name forward. Philip steps up and says, hey, that's what you think. I just want to be faithful. I'm just here to learn. I'm here trying to grow. I'm listening to Peter and John and the other disciples. I just want to sit in my seat and become a man of God. 
Then they call him up forward. He doesn't just go do what he wants to do. He doesn't just run ahead of the pack. He doesn't say, I don't need to be discipled. It says that they brought him forth, and then the apostles actually prayed over them, placed hands on them, and released him into this destiny that God had for him. Philip had already had joy. Philip had already had strength, and he already had soundness. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been brought forward. God had showed the apostles and the disciples that this is one who can be trusted. This is one who can be used. This is one who's ready to be released. And think about this for a second. Philip began his usefulness for ministry, his usefulness for God, not by discipling, not by baptizing, not by teaching others, but by serving bread to widows from another community that weren't getting enough bread. That was the big ministry. That was the big call. Hey, look, there's some people that have been rolling up in here from Norwalk, and, you know, they're getting hated on. They ain't getting enough bread. We need you to make sure that they get everything that they need. No, I want to teach. I want to preach. I want to worship. I want to evangelize. I want to disciple. No, we just need you to make sure that these ladies get bread. And you know what Philip did? He got excited, and he made sure that the ladies got bread. It wasn't beneath Philip. He didn't feel as if he deserved something better because of who he was in Jesus. You know why I kept verse 8 in here? Verse 8 says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Philip wasn't even the best of the group. Like this group of seven came in that were already in the church. They come in, and of that seven, Philip's kind of like an afterthought. They're like, hey, this Stephen, dude, this one is the guy. He's going to be the next elder. He's going to be the next leader. He's going to be the next apostle. God's going to do crazy things. And you know what? That actually happens. Read it. Stephen gets martyred, um, leads all these people, testifies in front of everybody. They stone him to death. And while he's being stoned to death, he looks into heaven. The heavens are open. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, just like Jesus did. Philip's not even the best in the group. But he was so humble. He was so willing to be used that way. He was so willing to go through the process that God had for him to elevate him that later on in the story, Stephen is now dead, martyred, and gone to heaven, and Philip is the one being taken by the Spirit to this place and to that place and leading people and baptizing them. But you cannot skip steps. And this is not something for special people. This is for everybody. From the youngest in here, my son is, is 11 years old and already finished Salvation 101 in the courses because it's for everybody. It ain't for special people. It ain't for ministry people. It's for anybody who wants to have a sound mind. It's for anybody who believes that when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he didn't care, uh, qualify that as certain people. He says, everybody needs to be a disciple. Everybody needs to be baptized. Everybody needs to be taught intentionally and specifically by someone else. I'm praying for more Phillips and Filipinas. <laughs> I ain't talking about women from the Philippines. I'm talking about Filipinas. Men and women, more Phillips, more Filipinas. <laughs> that want to rise up 
but want to rise up in the way that the Lord destined you to. It's a new world order. You can go somewhere else and they'll tell you, who cares about order? You want to be used by God? Go for it. And then when you're burnt out and of no more use to them, they'll have the next person to use instead of you. That's not what God intends. He doesn't intend us to get burned out. He doesn't intend us to be used. He intends us to be discipled and raised up and taught and faithful and endure to the end. He intends us to be the type of people who clean toilets and serve bread before we're the type of people that lay hands upon people and they receive the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's doing. We have to look back at his word. We have to look back at people's. That's one of the reasons why testimony is so important. I think about it more lately than before because I don't share my testimony a lot, but I think more people need to remember like what it was like for people like me in the beginning when I got saved. Ray was telling me this week about sharing some of his testimony and what it was like in the early stages of discipleship for him. I was like, man, it's so good. I'm glad people can hear that from you. Some of us are trying to be visionaries and we look to the future, but God always says, don't look to the future without looking back. I want to see more people pour themselves into discipleship instead of avoiding it or trying to redefine it. I want to see people getting baptized instead of making excuses about why they don't need to. I want to see more people calling for help and calling for teaching instead of thinking that they already know. One of the things that I hear a lot is, I don't want to ask you, Pastor, I don't want to call you because you're so busy. I don't want to be busy with a bunch of people that think they know everything already. I would love people to call me and say, hey, help me choose someone to disciple me. Hey, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand it? Hey, I've got some free time and I just want to vent to you. I want us to be the spirit-filled church submitted to the new world order of Jesus. Amen. Let's just do it his way. I promise you it works out better. <laughs> do your marriage his way. I promise you it works out better. Do your parenting his way. Do your manhood his way. Do your womanhood his way. And don't be in a hurry. I don't plan on going anywhere. It's, it's simple. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. It's the simple things in life, and it's the big thing in life. This morning, we stopped at 7-Eleven on our way into church. I said, hey, I don't have any more mints at the church. I need to go get some. In case somebody asks for prayer, I don't want them to be slain in the breath. I want them to be slain in the spirit. <laughs> and Nate, I got back in the car. I think it was Naomi, actually, because I bought three packs. And she was like, why did you get three? Is your breath that bad? <laughs> Let me grab one right now. I said, No. I said, baby, I don't plan on going anywhere. I'm going to be preaching and preaching and teaching. And te I'm not in a hurry. Like, I'm not going anywhere. If they had six, I'd have bought six. They only had three, so I bought three. The idea is this. I know where I am. I know where I'm going. I don't have to be in a hurry because I'm not going anywhere. This is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to be. It's the same thing with discipleship. You don't have to be in a hurry to be Philip where the spirit rushes you over to the chariot somewhere. You can say, you know what? I know one day that's where I'm going to be, so I'm going to enjoy sitting in my seat learning. Amen. I know one day I'm going to be discipling others, so I'm going to enjoy the difficulties of being discipled by someone. I know one day that I'm going to be the, the couple that's counseling other couples, so I'm going to engage in my counseling and in my growth process. 
If you know that this is the life for you, if you have joy in your developing strength, you don't have to be in a hurry, especially when you know you're doing it according to the word that he has provided for us. So what is this all about? We come out of Easter. We enter into this intensive. We look at what happened after Easter and this power that was released. We look at what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, listen, you're going to do great things, but wait. <laughs> Don't take off. Stay in Jerusalem. Something crazy is about to happen to you. They wait and the Spirit falls upon them. And they begin to minister to everybody and anybody, all walks of life. Cripples are being raised. Jesus said, listen, greater things are you going to do than I even did when I was here. Just wait for my spirit. Wait for my power. You'll have joy. You'll have strength. You'll have a sound mind. I'll give you authority. You'll be able to pass this on to others. What I want to share with you is nothing has changed. It's the same plan. Because it's a good plan. <laughs> it's the same process because God established it and it's a good process. All we have to do is enter into it. All we have to do is say, you know what? Whether I look like it or not, I'm crippled and I'm laying outside the gates of the church and I need somebody to help me come in. I need somebody to say, you know what? All you wanted was a little bit of happiness but that's not what I have for you. All you wanted was a little bit more financial stability, but that's not what I have for you. All you wanted was to feel a little bit better about the bad decisions that you've made in your past, but that's not what I have for you. Just like Peter and John, they looked at that man, they said, listen, I don't got silver and gold. I don't got a little bit better. I don't got a little bit of financial peace. What I have for you is the name and power of Jesus that can heal you. That's what I have for you. That's what I'm offering you. If you're here and <laughs> maybe you came looking for something else, I want to be like Peter and John and tell you, listen, I don't got that for you. What I got is forgiveness. What I've got is salvation. What I've got is all your sins being cast as far as the east is from the west and you getting to start a new life right here, right now, today. It's a new world order. Jesus is the head. We may be a small pocket or group of believers, but we are what he wants and what he desires, spirit and truth. If you're not saved and you want to be, will you raise your hand so I can see you? New world, new order, new salvation, new life. You get Jesus. You leave everything behind. If you haven't done that and you want to do that today, will you identify yourself? Don't be afraid. We all had to do it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Next. We mentioned it earlier that we've got a couple people getting baptized uh, this coming Sunday, and we're excited about that. But we'd be more excited if you wanted to get baptized too. Philip jumped out of that chariot. He didn't wait for week two, week seven, the next course. He said, listen, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, and I haven't been baptized, so I want to be baptized. Is there any here that haven't been baptized, and you want to be baptized? Anybody else besides the couple that we have for Sunday? If you haven't been baptized but you want to be and you know you need to be? Anybody? It's not going to change. You got to go all in. You got to give them everything. Is there anybody else before we move on? You want to be the third person in the water? Amen. We see Gilbert up here. Give him a hand. Praise the Lord. 
Hey, no turning back. No turning back. There's no turning back. Listen, we're gonna end up in different places doing different things. This young man's gonna be going off to the Navy to fight and defend our country. But he'll, do, he'll be doing that as a saved and baptized believer. Amen? Anybody else this morning? Man, there's no time like the present. The waters are storing. The water is comfortable. Jump on in. Anybody else want to get baptized? Hallelujah. I don't just say that. That's what the scriptures say, just so you know. Hallelujah. That's how it's written. Amen. You back there? Amen. Miss Kathy's going to get baptized. Hey, let's stop. Let's stop just going to church. Let's stop just going to church. Let's stop just singing songs. Let's actually do what God told us to do. Become disciples. Get baptized. Go all in. There's no turning back. Anybody else? We're up to four. If we get five, we might have to buy some lunch up in here. Anybody else? <laughs> Amen. I'm so excited for you guys, for you new believers. For those of you that are, that are just giving your life to the Lord, I want to encourage you to pray about baptism, and here's why. For many of us, we look back 10 years later, 15 years later, and we're trying to decide to get baptized. We wish somebody would have told us, don't wait, do it now, go all in. I'm telling you, don't wait, do it now, go all in. Next call, discipleship. I am not being discipled, but I will not settle for that any longer. If that's you, will you raise your hand? You will not settle for just being on your own. You will not settle for just allowing yourself to come to church and receive the word and listen to the word. You want to be discipled. Amen. Mel, come on down here. Connie, come on down here. Olivia, come on down here. Anybody else not being discipled, but you want to be discipled? Anybody else want to listen to what the word says? Make disciples? Anybody else? Now's the time. Amen. Come on down here, Sandra. You know, it's so funny because Ray told me this and it got under my skin so much this week. He said, listen, last week when we made the call for discipleship, the altars were only filled with women. We need men to rise up, be disciples, be a man of God, be led, be humbled. Thank you, Mel, but you women, come on down here, Olivia. Don't stand in the back, girl. Anybody else? It's not playtime. Amen. Come if you're going to be discipled. Come if you're going to let, come on down here, Justice. Come if you're going to let someone speak into your life. Praise the Lord. Man. Our, our not only discipled, but our baptism folks. So Big John is up here. Chris, if you don't mind, come on up here. Kat, come on up here. Being baptized. Man, we're just be obedient to the word. Be obedient to what God says. I wasn't sure how this was going to, to come out, but I, but I want to, I know where it's supposed to come out now. It's for you guys who are up here right now, Gilbert as well, being baptized, those who want to be discipled. It was in my notes and I took it out, but the Spirit is going to put it back in right now. <laughs> it's called DNR. Do not resuscitate. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the challenge you know there are certain people who believe that if something were to happen to them if they had to go on life support or if, if they were in some major kind of accident they have this DNR it's called do not resuscitate they're like look if I'm gone I'm ready to go if I'm dead let me go on to whatever the afterlife is and the reason why I was stirring in my spirit is man I just feel like more believers 
need to have a DNR. I'm not going to go back to my old life. Do not resuscitate me. You will have an opportunity very shortly to go back to where you were sitting before you came up to the altar. Mentally, emotionally, you'll be able to say, you know what, I think I went too far. <laughs> you know what, I, I don't know if this whole discipleship thing is really what, what, I, what I should be doing. You know what, this baptism thing, does this really mean that like I'm going to go all in for Jesus? Do not resuscitate. Do not go back. Do not step back from your decision. Everything that God has for each and every one of you that are up here is ahead of you. It's not behind you. I promise you that. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but I promise you, all the gifts God has for you, I really want you to receive this, and I'm going to pray over you. I want you to picture your life from this day forward. All of you have had good lives. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're saved. All that is amazing. However, I want you to picture your life from this day forward. As a, as a narrow road, as the Bible says, that God wants to put you on, and every good and perfect gift that he has for you is along that road. If you go back, he still loves you and he'll still be there, but the gifts are ahead of you. Stay on the road. Keep going forward. Fight through the hard times. Fight when the enemy tries to swell up pride inside of you and say, no, I'm going to be humble like my Savior. Fight for it. Fight for it. And I promise you this, we'll be hearing testimonies of other people that you guys are leading, other people that you guys are baptizing, other people that you guys are laying hands on, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Amen. I'm going to ask Gary, one of our elders, Raymond, you're in the building, come on up here. I want you to just place hands on these ones here <clears throat> as we pray for them. Miss Peaches, if you could come as well, please place hands on these ones who are here. And the rest of the congregation, if we could, as the scripture said, just raise our hands towards them. This feels a lot like when in Acts, when the apostles were there and they, they said, hey, we need seven. <laughs> we got a bunch of Philips and Filipinas up here. And it says that they placed hands on them and that they prayed over them and they released them into what God had for them. And man, I'm so excited to be able to do this with you guys. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you for these women. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your order, Lord God. I thank you that we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. All we have to do is submit unto your purposes, unto your plan, unto your word. I thank you that we can have joy and develop strength, Lord God. But I also thank you that we can pursue soundness of mind, Lord. I ask that you would meet each and every one of these men and women where they stand today, Lord God. Begin to give them visions about what's ahead of them, what's going to take place in their future, Lord God. Let them have confidence in knowing that no matter what happens, they will be with you, Lord. For those who are going to be getting baptized, Lord, I pray for just a supernatural move of your spirit, that it truly would be a do not resuscitate type moment in their lives, Lord, where they die to their old selves, where all that old life and old thinking, Lord God, old direction is buried and they're raised in newness of life with you. I pray for those that are going to enter into discipleship, Lord, that you would lead them to men and women who have been discipled, who can take them to places that they've already been, Lord God, who will actually pray for them and care for their uh, particular situations and circumstances, Lord, that will seek you for how to lead these. I pray that you would raise them up in a mighty way, Lord God. I thank you for allowing us to be witnesses here in this place this morning, God. I thank you for allowing us to take part 
in what you established. You told us to wait. You told us to wait for your spirit, Lord, and here you are showing up, God. Cover them with the hedge of protection, Lord God. Don't prevent them from going through hard times. Do not prevent them through, from going through hard seasons, Lord. We believe that it will help to develop them and to strengthen them, Lord God. You are not afraid of the enemy, God. You are not afraid of challenges, God. They are not going to be weak and overcome. They are going to be strong and they are going to be conquerors, Lord. Have your way in their lives, Lord. Bless them and bless their extended families, Lord God. Thank you for days like this. We thank you for moments like this, Lord. As we prepare to receive communion this morning, Lord, we look back to when your body was broken. We look back to when your blood was shed for us, Lord God. We see that it was not for no reason that you are alive and well. We believe the same word that was delivered through those angels, Lord God, that you are going to come back again. And until then, we will serve you. We will love you. We will worship you. We will stay in our word, Lord God. We will pursue you and we will help one another, Lord. In this time of communion, Lord, would you meet with us? Would you bless us? We love you and we thank you in this place, God. Church, we're going to worship. We're going to open. You can give the Lord a hand. Amen. Listen. We are going to worship. We are going to receive communion. But, but I want to challenge you one last thing like we did uh, on Good Friday. Today, when you receive communion, receive it with two or three other people. Grab your, grab your juice. Grab your cracker. Find two or three people. And just for a minute, talk about God. Remember something that he did for you maybe. Pray for each other before you receive it. Let it be important. Let it be impactful. Remember who Jesus is. Don't just take it for yourself. Take it as part of a community. So you're released. You're free to worship and receive communion. God bless you guys. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.